Well, good morning, y'all. It's great to see you. I love that video. I love the Survivor Series. Cindy and I have actually been to Fiji where, they, where they've been filming some of this stuff. It is really cool. In fact, if you have to ever be stranded anywhere, that's not a bad place to be. It's good to be here with you this morning. I want to remind you one more time that if you uh, are in leadership of the church, you're aspiring to be in leadership, you've got to be here tonight. It's going to be a great time together. We've got some positive, some uh, upward moving kinds of stuff happening we need to make you aware of. But, but beyond that, it's just going to be a fun time. And I'm even going to give you a gift tonight. So uh, plan to be with us uh, this evening. There was this... Uh, there is this poor pastor, which uh, I remember being uh, that guy many years ago. There's a poor pastor who was uh, complaining to his wife for buying a new dress. See, they had already arranged that they couldn't buy any new clothes, but she had gone out and she had bought a new dress. And so she responded by simply saying, the devil made me do it. It's his fault for tempting me. And the pastor pulls out scripture and he said, yes, but you could have said, get thee behind me, Satan. She said, I did. But then he said, you look so good back there too. <laughs> we have themed this series after the idea of Survivor. And in, in the game show Survivor, which by the way, I don't know if any of you are watching it, but Amber being voted out the very first week going to Extinction Island, I mean Exile Island, that was just, that's just crazy stuff. But that's for those of you who are, who are into the series. But we've used this series as a way of, of just emphasizing that in life, when it comes to, to fighting the villains that we face, we have to outwit, outplay, outlast, and overcome the wiles of the evil one. Last week, we emphasized that there is a battle for your soul, that Satan is real, he is active, he is present. He's not a figment of religious people's imagination. He's not a devil sitting on your shoulder. He's not wearing a red suit and have a pitchfork, but he is real. And his desire, his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy you and everything that you love. That's just truth. That's just real. It's in the Bible. We believe it to be the case. And we know that that's what Satan is trying to do. Well, this morning, as we continue in our series, I want to help us to continue to be aware of the schemes of the evil one. Not only should we be aware of the schemes of the evil one, but we should know how to combat him. And today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that I think will help us be able to do that. We're going to look at Jesus in the garden, uh, when he was being tempted by the evil one. Now, all of us here have been tempted, have we not? Perhaps even this morning. For some of us, maybe even twice this morning. Satan is at work. He is trying to steal, kill, and destroy you. So let's see what the Scripture has to teach us today about, about our battle against sin. In Matthew chapter 4, we begin in chapter 4, verse 1. And today we're going to do it a little differently. I'm just going to kind of walk us through this text and let us get a look at what is taking place here in the life of Jesus. In the first word of this text, Matthew chapter 4, is the word then. Now then connects us to what just took place previously. 
In the previous text, we see that Jesus had gone to the Jordan River. He had been baptized. We've seen that the Father spoke from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus came out of the water. And the Bible tells us that it is linking what's about to take place in the life of Jesus. And it hinges on what just took place in the life of Jesus. Here's something that we need to realize this morning. The day you put your faith in Jesus Christ is the day your address changed. Did you know that? Your address changed. Your address address changed from a place known as hell to a place known as heaven. And on that day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you passed from darkness to light, and it became a day when you found new purpose and meaning. It was a day also when the spiritual warfare for your soul became very real. In fact, your conversion that day made your heart a battlefield. Not only is there a God who loves you, but there is a devil who hates you. And this devil who hates you is doing anything he can to pull you back into your old ways. You see, Satan, what he wants more than anything else is he wants to to have you as his own. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, above all else, I think it's such incredible language, Because it tells us that above everything else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. The Bible then goes on to tell us the reason we guard our heart is that for out of our hearts, out of our inner being, out of our inner person, everything we do flows from it. Everything we do flows out of our heart. Jesus even said that was true. He said that we'll, we will know how we are living. We'll know whose we are by the way we live because our heart dictates the way we live. Satan knows that he has an entry point into your life through your heart. You see, Satan, here's the interesting thing. We know statistically that about 90% of Americans believe in God. I mean, you, you, maybe it's 88 in one poll, 92 in another, but it's somewhere around 90%. 90% of Americans believe there is a God. It's ironic that only about 20% of Americans attend church regularly on Sunday mornings. Why is there a 70-point gap between those two realities? Why is there that gap? I think in part it's because Satan is working hard. You see, I don't believe that Satan is so concerned that you don't believe in God because the Bible tells us that even the demons believe in God and tremble. He's not concerned that you believe in God. He is concerned that you follow God with all of your heart. That's what he's concerned about. He's not, Satan is not afraid of the people right now who are at home sleeping in their comfortable beds thinking about church. He's not concerned about those folks. He's got them right where they want them. He's concerned about you. He's concerned about you creating a dangerous church that would in some way run up against His devices. You see, God's first commandment was that you should have no other God before me. Jesus restated this commandment by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Satan knows that if he has a follower, of, if there's a follower of Christ who loves God first in his or her life, that he gives God every, he or she gives God everything they can in their life, then that is his greatest threat. The others, he's not concerned about. He lets them go. 
Makes life easy for him sometimes. See, Satan's greatest desire is to prevent you from giving God all of your heart. If you give God a little piece, I don't think Satan's too worried. But he's afraid when you give God all of your heart. So here's what he does. Satan is constantly dangling bright, shiny things in front of you. It's kind of like, have you ever, have you ever seen uh, on Facebook? I don't know, maybe, I don't know if you Facebook or you don't. I, I Facebook some, uh, one of the members of my family Facebooks a lot. Did I say a lot? Every, every cat meme and dog meme and, and all those kind of things. Well, have you ever notice in, in, in some of the videos that you see on Facebook or other places where, where someone will take a light and they'll, they'll do this with the light and the animal will just be, you know, jumping after the light and running here and running there and the cats, you know, jumping, the dogs barking because they're trying to chase the light. That's kind of what Satan does with us. He just dangles these bright, shiny things in front of us. Bright, shiny people. Oh, don't you want to be like him? Oh, wouldn't it be nice if you were like her? Oh, if you could just be their friend, if you could just get near them. He just dangles those people in front of you. Or things. I mean, Satan loves to get us, he tempts us by, by things. I mean, for me, you know, if, if Satan were to, to ride a Honda out here, eh, no temptation. But bring in a nice Harley with some curvy sleeks and the right color, man, I am tempted to just open my wallet up and just money, money, money. Because we're tempted. Bright, shiny things. Bright, shiny people. Sometimes he, he just wants us to have these things in our life to distract us. So he can erect a false god in our lives. The Bible says then Jesus, after having this great spiritual experience, which by the way, when you have a great spiritual experience, do not be surprised if it's followed up by some great trial or temptation. It says the Bible says and Jesus was led up by the Spirit. So the work of the Spirit was to, was to prepare Jesus for the battle that He was about to face. God intends that part of our preparation as Christians would be a life of warfare with hell. Paul says that the warfare that we're in is a good warfare. And he says that we are fighting a good fight. It's good not because we might be, be damaged or killed in it, and we might be, but it's good because these firefights refine us, our faith. It makes our, our, our faith stronger both in life and in death. And so Jesus was led into, the Bible tells us, says that He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, in the, in the, particularly in the New Testament, but this is true, generally speaking, throughout the biblical text, is whenever you see the word desert, or whenever you see the word wilderness, it usually signifies one of two things. One of the things that signifies is a time of testing. Remember the Israelites, when they were wandering from Egypt trying to get to the promised land, they were going through the wilderness, and it was a great time of testing for them. But in the New Testament in particular, when you see this word, what you often associate it with is demonic activity. That somehow in the desert place, the scripture seems to indicate that is where we are tested. That is where we are tried. That is where Satan seeks to come against us and, and fight against us. And so we need to be warned about that. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus was led into this place. And what it's saying to us in the language is it's not just some mere movement that Jesus was on but that the Spirit was leading him into a battle with the devil. I mean, that's the context for what we're talking about. That's how serious this text is. In verse 2, it says, in verse two of Matthew 4, it says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, here's what's interesting. 
is to prepare for this battle against Satan, Jesus fasted and neglected the very thing that it seems would give him life, at least physical life. So he neglected the physical thing so that he could be prepared for the spiritual thing. That's what fasting does in our lives. Now, the Bible tells us that he was hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating, I have never done that. I am not that spiritual. I'm just going to admit it right now. But if I had spent 40 days and 40 nights without eating, all I can say to you is don't stand between me and the buffet. I will knock you over. Four days? Yeah, might want to watch out too. All right, I'm in front of you. After church, just don't stand in my way between me and food. My, my very first church plan, I had a guy who used to tease me, said, oh, you're a pastor, you only work four hours a week. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the hardest four hours I've ever had because you're there. He didn't say it too much more after that. So Jesus is prepared, beginning in verse 3. Here comes Satan. Here's what he's going to do. It says, The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, the, there was a group of, um, in, in the Middle Ages, there was a group, of, of religious leaders called the ascetics. The ascetics uh, held to a life of what's called asceticism, which is a, a very, very uh, simple life, a life devoid of a lot of, of the luxuries that people would have. And, and the ascetics often interpreted this passage of Scripture in a way in which most of us, many pastors and, and, and scholars even today, sometimes attempt this. They, they look at this, this temptation as what they would call, a, what the ascetics called the night of the senses, the darkness of the senses. And it was this, it was a symbolization that, that the temptation that Jesus was being led into was a temptation regarding bodily appetites. And then they think that was so because of the connection that we have between what our body needs and desires with the temptations that Satan might bring into us. And in a sense, that is right. Do you remember in the Garden of Eve, Eden, when, um, when Satan came to tempt Adam and Eve? What did he use? He used the senses as one of his sources of temptation. In fact, next week we're going to look at that passage and you're going to see that, that the way in which they were tempted in the garden first is similar to the way Jesus was tempted in the garden here and which is similar to the way we are doing battle even today. And so Satan, with Jesus, was trying to use the same tactics that he was succeeded, on, succeeded with when he overcame Adam and Eve in the garden. He's trying to use the same uh, sense language here to capture them. But Jesus wasn't having any of it. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now here's what I want us to see, this first temptation. The first temptation, when you look at it, it appears as though it's merely about bread, it's merely about eating, it's merely about bodily appetite, but that's not really what it's about. On a surface level, perhaps, but deeper down, here's what it's about. The temptation came down to this, is who do we place confidence in? Do we do things for ourselves or, we will let, or will we let God be 
our provider. When you look throughout all the text of Scripture, the one thing that God says He wants to do is He wants to take care of us. Jesus illustrated this in the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, which takes place after this temptation. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things are going to be added to you. Jesus is saying, if you put your life in the proper order, I can take care of you. I can be strong with you. I can help you survive and, and overcome. Jesus said, I love you so much that I, even, that I, I love you more than the sparrows. When they fall, don't you think I know it? Don't you know that I take care of even the sparrows? How much more will I take care of you? You see, God wants to be our provider. But when we, like Satan here was trying to get Jesus to do, when we try to take care of ourselves, apart from God's blessing, we're stepping out of the order that God wants in our lives. And so the temptation that Jesus is facing is not so much about whether he turns stone into bread, but it's about whether he will usurp, if he will take control of the order that God has for the way we live our, way we live our lives. You see, sometimes, here's the thing about temptation. You know, temptation is one thing when it's so obvious to us. You know, $1,000 is laying you know, on the counter and you take the $1,000 and you, you walk away with it. I mean, that's an obvious temptation, right? I mean, we, we know that something is put there for us, but what, what we face sometimes as Christian is sometimes the harder test for us is choosing between two things that seem to be good. And they both appear to be good, but subtly what Satan is doing is one takes us down a path of self-sufficiency when Jesus wants us to go down a path of divine sufficiency. And so the first temptation was, is, is will, God, will Jesus let God be his provider and care for him in that moment? Second temptation, notice chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord God, Lord your God, to the test. See, in this case, Jesus, this is so subtle what, what Satan is doing here. Jesus is being tempted by Satan to test God. Do you see that? Jesus is, tempt, is being tempted by Satan to test God. See, here was the test. It, it, they're, they're saying go to the pinnacle. Now, scholars debate on which pinnacle it was, but, but probably it was a, a pinnacle that was found near, near the worship center on the temple. If Jesus would go to the top of, of the temple pinnacle and he would jump down, Satan is saying, listen, God will send his angels, they'll capture you, and they'll set you down like a soft butterfly. That's the implication. And in the process, there's probably going to be people there who's going to see it. And the implication is, if you do all of that, aren't you just going to show how good God really is? And Jesus recognized it for what it was. It was a very subtle form of manipulation. And the temptation here that we need to see is that this temptation demonstrates what we might call presumption. That is arrogance. That is to say, it, it's, it's the way of living that is disrespectful and takes for granted the things that God does for us. I don't know if you've ever had kids who do this. Sometimes um, our children, because we're the parents and, and we 
supposedly have all the money, we have all the answers, we have all that, which we never have until they need it, right? We never have any of that good stuff until they want it. But then they, they do something in their life. They make a decision, a financial decision, let's say, and they go and, and they get into a bind with their financial decision and they come to us and they just assume that because we're mom and dad, we're just going to do whatever it is they've asked us to do. So they've, they've put themselves in a bind and now they're asking us to come rescue them out of the bind. That's presumption. That's a bit of arrogance. That's, a, that's disrespectful. Well, sometimes with God, don't we do the same thing? Don't we put ourselves in situations and we realize all of a sudden, uh-oh, I just got myself in trouble. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then we get on our knees and then we pray and then we're begging God, please God, help me, help me, help me overcome all this or do whatever it is. That's, a, that's us presuming upon God. See, God wants to be our protector. That's His role. God wants to protect us. But sometimes we walk outside of that protection and that puts us open to Satan's wiles, that puts us open to destruction and harm, and God wants to be there to protect us. So in this passage of Scripture, we see that, that Satan is trying to have Jesus move outside of God's defined order. Look at number three. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the, and then it says, The devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. So the Satan comes to Jesus, and he's trying to tempt him again very subtly. Here's what he's asking. He says, Jesus, come look. And he said, I'm going to show you all that you can have. You see over there? You see New York City? Jesus, you can have it. Insert comment, not going to do it. San Francisco. Jesus, you can have it. Insert Paris, been there. You can have it. I mean, Jesus is Jesus being tempted to say, you can have all of these things. Here's what's so interesting about the temptation. The Bible says that the purpose of Jesus was that one day every knee should bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. It's going to happen one day. So Satan was tip, really only offering Jesus something that Jesus was going to have anyway at another time. So here's, what, here's, the, here's the temptation that was happening. Satan was enticing Jesus to receive a legitimate thing in an illegitimate way. And that's the nature of this last temptation. You see, we said that if we put it into a category, and, and this word's going to seem strange to you, I'm sure, but it says in Temptation 3, it says that Jesus, what, what I'm trying to communicate is that Jesus is our promoter. God is our promoter. But see, Satan wants to do that instead. What do I mean by that? There is this sense in which, and we see hints of it here in the text, in which all of us have this sense of identity that we try to uphold. Sometimes we call it image management. Sometimes we call it self-esteem or self-concept. But all of us want to be seen or perceived in a certain way. And we want to do things that help reinforce what we think people need to see in us. And so we do crazy things sometimes. 
you know. Sometimes we, we buy certain brands because we want people to know that, that, that we have the ability. Or we, or we make certain purchases or, or we, 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 we try to ascend to certain titles or certain positions. Um, not for the sake of the items themselves because there's nothing wrong in and of themselves for any of those items. There's nothing wrong in being promoted. But it's when we try to, to self-promote or allow Satan even to do the work for us so that others can see us in a way that we think is important. And that's what Satan was trying to do here to Jesus. He was trying to get him all this glory, all of this power, so that people would see him as the Son of God. That was the, the temptation when Jesus was going to have it anyway. And part of the temptations that we face as human beings is that we seek legitimate things in illegitimate ways. For example, this, this may not make sense, but let me, let me throw this out to you. Part of, um, as children are young, and they're growing up. One of the things that children have to do in order to function in a healthy manner in life is they have to learn to do what's called self-soothing. Self-soothing simply means that, that they have to find a way to, to bring uh, equilibrium to their life, to bring a balance to their emotions when things in their life are out of whack. And, and frankly, that, that's true of adults. As adults, we have to learn also how to self-soothe. We have to learn how to respond in a healthy way when life is not so healthy around us. Now, the problem is, for many people in America, and really truly around the world, is that we self-soothe a legitimate goal in ways that are contrary to the Word of God. I mean, you can name them alcohol, sex, um, all, all kinds of things that we do in an attempt to make ourselves feel better in the midst of all the anxieties that we have. Now, here's the thing. Most of the anxieties we have are not about the things that are happening outside of us. But these anxieties are the things that are happening inside us and how we talk to ourselves about those things. For example, something happens in your life and you don't feel competent. Something's going on, it's outside of your control, it's outside of your expertise. So, so your anxiety rises, and when your anxiety rises, here's what happens, you begin to tell yourself, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not blank enough, whatever it happens to be. And that self-talk gets into your mind, and it lowers how you feel about yourself. Now, here's what happens when you start talking bad about yourself. I mean, it's one thing when others talk bad about you, right? But you're your, we are our own worst enemy. We start talking bad about ourselves, and it lowers our self-perception, which makes us feel like we need something to bring that self-perception back up. And rather than going to the Word of God, rather than, than using the soothing methods that are found in Scripture and that are found in Christian community, we turn to things that the world, that, that Satan tells us, will make us feel better. Just one more drink. Just one more relationship. If you just work a little hard. You see, here's what happens. Now follow me, I know, I know this string is, is going on, but as the string continues, and we start doing all of these things, we are moving further away from God as the source of the one who seeks to instill in us a concept, a godly concept of who we are. And the farther we move away from that, 
the easier it is for Satan to continue to feed us negative self-talk. That's the subtle temptation here. Jesus could have bought into it. Jesus could have said, well, you're right. If, if you just give me everything, I'll have them, then people will see that I'm, the, I'm truly the Son of God. But Jesus didn't do that. Here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that for people to know that He was truly the Son of God, it was going to take thousands of years. But He was willing to wait to make it happen. So this morning as we think about this, remember we said that Satan wants your soul? That he wants your heart? That Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart for everything flows from it? There is a formula to temptation, by the way. It's found in James Chapter 1, verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And here's the formula. The greater the desire, the greater the temptation. I would submit to you this morning that every single one of us who face temptation, we do so in one of these three categories that I mentioned this morning. About God's care for us, about God's protection for us, and about the way God promotes in our lives how we feel about ourselves and the world around us. Every temptation that you're facing will fall into one of those three categories. For some of us, it might not be God's care. That might not be tempting to us. But for another of us, it might be this idea of promotion. It might be these things. And whatever is the greater desire, that's where the greater temptation will come from. But Jesus gives us a strategy for overcoming it. Did you notice in every one of these temptations that Jesus quoted Scripture? Scripture is our weapon against the evil one. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more you have God's word in your heart, the harder it is for you to submit to temptation. Ephesians 6.17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the God. When you read the Bible, when you fill yourself with the Bible, when you're constantly reading it and thinking about it, that helps you to fight the enemy, because you can quote Scripture against him, because Satan will misquote Scripture, but you can quote it correctly. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, we all, all of us are tempted. Jesus said he was tempted. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like us. He understands. But the Bible says God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide you the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when you're in that moment and you know the temptation is coming on you to take another drink, to have another relationship, to do whatever it is that's happening, God is providing you a way out. Just look for it. 1 John 5, 4 also tells us for everyone who has been born of God, and that includes you if your address has changed, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now this morning as we, as we close, I want, to show you, uh, I want to show you this logo. Does anyone recognize that logo? Superman, right? When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I had two favorite superheroes. First one was Batman. Because the dude had cool stuff, right? He had a great car, cool uniform, um, great last name. You know, this was way back in the day. Some of you will get it later. It's just, hey, Batman was just, he was just so cool. I, I love Batman. Robin was okay, but I loved Batman. I'm going to give a little secret. Kind of had a thing for Catwoman, but we won't, uh, we won't talk about that. But I love Batman. <coughs> but I also love Superman. 
I mean, who wouldn't like a man who flies? I mean, who wouldn't like a man who could just, you know, knock away bullets, who could, who could see through walls? I mean, Superman was so awesome. But Superman had, he was omnicompetent, it seemed, except in one area. Remember what it was? It was kryptonite. So the bad guys were always trying to take some kryptonite and put it next to, next to Superman. And the more kryptonite they could get near him, or the nearer they could get to him with the kryptonite, it would render him weak and, and helpless. And, and I remember as a kid, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the TV, and I remember when I was a kid, it was black and white. And it was, you know, it was all the old, all the old people and the old, you know, there was no, there was no computer generated stuff. So I'm sitting there in front of the TV and I'm probably six, seven, eight, nine years old. And I'm watching the TV. And I'm going, no, no, don't do it. Bat, Batman, Superman, don't, don't look at it. Don't look at it. Because I was so into it. For Christians, here's the thing we need to understand. For Christians, unbelief is our kryptonite. That's our kryptonite. Now, I said earlier that the three temptations, that there are three categories. God is our, our provider, our protector, and our promoter. But there's something else you need to see that's woven throughout all of that text. And this may, in fact, be the most important thing you need to hear this morning. The one thread that runs throughout was this idea of doubt. If Satan could get Jesus to doubt that he knew he could win. If he could doubt God's provision, you know, turn the bread into stone. If he could doubt God's uh, 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 um, protection, you know, listen, God's not going to take care of you. If he could doubt that God was really going to give him his purpose when life was fulfilled, then, then he knew that he could win the struggle. For you and I, it's the same thing. Doubt is our kryptonite. You see, nothing on earth is more powerful than, holy, than the Holy Spirit flowing through the faith of born-again disciples of Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say to those, for those people? It says that there is nothing impossible. Through faith, nothing is impossible. When, Christian, when a Christian is full of spirit-filled faith, he cannot stop or be stopped speaking about what he has seen or heard. Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Not even can death silence him. This means that, that from, a, from Satan's perspective there is nothing more dangerous than Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit walking in faith and not in doubt. In fact, the only thing that Satan fears more than a Christian who has that possession is when a church has that possession. Last week I introduced you to the, this concept that God wants His church to be a dangerous place. Not for you and I, but for the enemy, for the evil one. And if we can have a dangerous church, we can defeat the work of Satan here in Vero Beach. We can defeat the work of Satan in those who attend this church. We can defeat the work of Satan in your life. And when we can do that, that means your marriages can flourish. That means your economic life will, will take a new turn because you're living according to God's Word. When we have faith in God and we do not doubt Him, all things are possible to those who believe. Now, sometimes we don't succeed. I understand. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but have you ever been tempted and failed? I have. Probably more than once. 
many more times than once. I've done that. But here's what I know. The Bible tells us that He is faithful and just. And He will forgive us. And He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins to Him. This morning, Satan is after your heart. He is. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But the Spirit comes that you might have life and have it to the live it abundantly. And this morning, you can be a soul survivor. S-O-U-L. You can be a soul survivor if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, in a moment, we're going to ask you to stand. And as we stand, we're going to sing a last song. As we sing this last song, if there is something in your life that you need help and encouragement with, we have places where you can come and pray. There are godly men and women who will pray with you and help you in this battle, this, this struggle that you're facing. This morning, if, you, if, you're not, if you're not at that moment right now, would you take a few moments and pray for those around you? Because someone in here today is fighting something that is so heavy, that is so dark. Maybe you've never told anyone else. Do it this morning. Let us be there for you. Let us help fight Satan in your life. Let's stand together. Let's sing and worship him. darkness fills the night I cannot hide the light whom shall I fear you crush the enemy underneath my feet you are my sword and shield though troubles linger still whom shall I fear I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. My strength is in your name, for you alone can save. You will deliver me, yours is the victory. Who shall I fear? Who shall I fear? I know who goes before me. Stands behind the God of angel armies. It's always by my side. 
I know who goes before me. The God of angel armies, the one who reigns forever. is always thank you Lord you're an awesome church God wants to use you to do some truly I mean really two incredible things there are people in this community right now who are hurting who need what you have and I want to just challenge you to be bold Go and help those that you can who are near you. You know, there's nothing that Satan fears than a strong church. He fears a strong church. And tonight we're having leadership community. You've already heard us talk about it. It's really important. The stronger our leaders are, the stronger this church will be, and the more we are able to take the gospel into this world. So if you're a leader or aspiring leader, you're curious about leadership, tonight it, we just, just come, please. won't last long. But the time it does, I think you'll find it worth it. Great church. So now I invite you to go in the name and the power of Jesus Christ to make a difference in this community. Amen. God bless you.